And welcome back to another edition of the Locked On College Football Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed, alongside my always great and confident co-host and Jonah Tolls. Jonah, how's everything going, man? You know what? I'm feeling great and I'm feeling confident, Jordan, because you know why? We're talking about cornerbacks. And cornerbacks, my favorite position to study in all of football and scouting. And, man, we got a big group to talk about. This We have a combine coming up, my friend. We're going to be there down in Indianapolis live. It's going to be a lot of fun. Really excited about that. And, you know, Jonah, he already spilled the beans a little bit. We actually are starting our combine preview today. And, yes, we are previewing the cornerbacks. I know this is like your baby right here, man. This is oh, your yeah. position that you love to evaluate. You know, I have a heavy amount of trust and respect in your eye. And seeing this <laughs> position, I ran some guys by you. So, uh, without further ado, we're not going to go through every single person in the group, but we're going to talk about some of the guys that we are very excited about in this group. And, of course, we have to start at the top with Jeffrey Okuda, man. This guy, I mean, we don't need to spend a lot of time on him just because he is so special. But what are just some of the things that make him so good? If you could, like, draw up a perfect cornerback prospect on paper, it looks very something very similar to Jeffrey Okuda, right? He's basically Marshawn Lattim- a bigger version of Marshawn Lattimore. At 6'1", 200 pounds, he's going to run 4'3", 4'3", on the 40-yard dash. He's going to jump really well. He's going to check all the boxes. And I've said it before. I think he's the best cornerback prospect I've scouted since Patrick Peterson. And that includes guys like Jalen Ramsey and Marshawn Lattimore and Jair Alexander. But all three guys I love. But to me, Jeffrey Okuda has the complete package. I think where all these all these other prospects we've seen in the past, these top guys, they've always missed that one sort of thing. With Jair Alexander, it was that size and length that you're really worried about. With Marshawn Lattimore, it was a durability. And then when you got you know Jalen Ramsey, it was sort of you know can he struggle with the can he handle the separation and off man coverage? With a guy like Okuda, he really showed this year that you know the biggest question around him was ball production, and he turned into one of the most you know feared playmakers in all the country. So uh, this is a guy that I think checks all the boxes. We look at speed, quickness, man coverage production, and then his ball skills. I, I, I think he has the most upside, like I said, of any quarterback I've scouted since Patrick Peterson. I think he's in for a big showing at the combine. I'd be surprised if he fell the first five picks, knowing how important the quarterback position is in today's NFL. Yeah, man, and this is one of those players that we just call a no-brainer. Like, if you can't – if you don't – if you're not able to turn the tape on and just recognize how good this guy is, Absolutely. I don't know exactly what to tell you or what to make of your scouting eye. <laughs> but I know everybody sees things differently. But Akuda, man, he's a slam dunk prospect that I like to say. And I'd be surprised if he makes it past the Lions at three, unless That's they do trade back or something like that. Talks. Yeah, unless they trade back or anything like that. I would be hard-pressed to see him make him pass, make it past the third overall pick. I think he'd be a great fit there, especially with Darius. Darius Slay might be on the outs there in Detroit. So really excited to see where he runs, though. Do you think he's going to touch 4-3? Oh, yeah. He's going he's gonna to be 4-3-5, 4-3-6. I mean, this guy got close to that number in high school. So you're looking at a guy that I think just you know, strength and conditioning-wise just gotten so much better, obviously, since high school. Uh, I think he's going to be very close to that four three five four three six range for sure. Which would be, man, that just like cement his status. Like he wouldn't need to do anything else if he runs a four three uh, four three five. That would just be remarkable. But uh, I want to keep going on on this list just because I know we have some guys that we definitely need to get to. And the next guy that I want to get to on this list has been a highly debatable one. 
especially in the Twitter sphere and also social media, and that's C.J. Henderson, the quarterback from Florida. Everybody right. likes to talk about the tackling issues, but his coverage consistency and his fluidity and coverage is so good. So what are just some of the things that you like about C.J. Henderson and why you're able – and just talk about why you're okay with his tackling woes. Yeah, so here's the thing. It's the same – you remember William Jackson coming out of Houston? It was a 2016 draft. Absolutely. Yes. So I think a lot of people – and I, I think the NFL is going to value C.J. Henderson a lot higher than where draft Twitter has him right now. I think he's going to be the second cornerback off the board after Yakuda. The reason why I say that is because I think his, his man cover skills and ability to purely just cover wide receivers one-on-one is right there with Akuda. In terms of his look at his fluidity, his length, his press man skills, his line of scrimmage discipline, uh, his quick eyes. I love just everything about him from a coverage perspective. And I know people are going to knock his ball production. He didn't really make too many plays on the ball this year. But with his length and his timing and his aggressiveness, I, I don't think that's going to be a problem for him at the next level, whereas I think it's going to be a problem with guys like Christian Fulton, for example. Um, but So I, I'm from a pure coverage perspective, I'm fine with him. But where I think people are starting to get a, l- a little led astray here is the tackling. Because the tackling is a little worrisome, but the quarterback position, what are you paying your guys to do? You're paying guys to cover. And so it, when I see analysts rank, you know, guys like Christian Fulton, guys, you know, like Trayvon Diggs over – you know, someone like C.J. Henderson, I'm thinking to myself, what, how, how do you prioritize cornerbacks in your scouting grades? You know what I mean? Because it's like if you overvalue tackling too much, you're going to take a guy who's worse in coverage over a position where coverage is obviously the main component. It just doesn't make sense to me. So C.J. Henderson is my second overall corner because he's the second best cover guy in this class. It's that simple. I'm with you. I like C.J. Henderson. And at the end of the day, what it comes down to with these cornerback prospects and where the NFL evaluates them is how well they play in coverage. And I know the tackling is an issue, but I think it's something that he doesn't really know how to do. And I think there's some times where he has some disinterest in it, but he made some business decisions. And that was just part of the that was just part of his game. But I think once he gets on the next level and he gets in a bit of a demanding environment, I think that's something that will make him become more of a tackler. But at the end of the day, the thing that teams take these cornerbacks for is how well they are in coverage. And there's always going to be some corners around the league that don't have much interest in tackling. But at the end of the day, the teams are able to overcompensate that just because and they're able to overlook that just because of how well they play in coverage. And I think C.J. Henderson is a prime example of that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like this. I mean, would you rather have a shutdown Pro Bowl cornerback or would you rather have a good cornerback who can tackle? You know what I mean? It's just like that, that kind of thing, right? It's, it, would you rather have an all-pro, Pro Bowl kind of upside cornerback who can't tackle or the guy who will never make the Pro Bowl, but he will make reliable tackles for you? And I, I think it's a clear choice. And so it's just right. – I, I don't understand why people over overemphasize his lack of tackling. And I, I get it. You know, his tackling is concerning. You watch the guy, games like against Miami, South Carolina, and all that. But – if you're overemphasizing the tackling in favor of the coverage, that's where I got a problem because he is too good of a cover corner to be ranked as low as he is right now. And definitely. So next guy I want to get to, and he kind of seems like, I don't want to say the forgotten about man, but just because of his lack of production, there's kind of some people that are souring on him a little bit, and that's Christian Fulton, the cornerback mm-hmm. from LSU. And I like, I like some things about Christian Fulton, but the biggest issue that we both have talked about time and time again is just the play strength with mm-hmm. him and just the mental focus when the ball is in the air. He has some lapses in coverage in that area. So with Fulton, just talk about some things you like and then some things that you, that does concern you a bit. 
Yeah, I think what you like is clear and obvious, right? The mental trigger and man coverage, the ability to play from the off alignment and quick, you know, click and close, mirror and match at, at the line of scrimmage. This guy, from a man coverage perspective with his footwork, his eye discipline, it's all there with him. I think he stays in the hip pocket just as well as any corner in this class. But when the ball gets in the air, this guy either gets bullied or he loses the ball in the air, with, especially when he's playing with his back to it over the shoulder. We had a discussion before the podcast went on the air about, you know, cornerbacks playing through the hands or cornerbacks looking over the shoulder and looking for the ball. And I was, I was telling you, I was like, you know, cornerbacks who are able to look over the shoulder are more confident in their technique and their ability to find an attack. Whereas corners who strictly play through the hands and essentially face guard, those are the corners that are too anxious to really turn around because they feel like they're going to either lose the man or the ball. Fulton is the latter. Fulton is the one who really tries to play through the hands and is not really comfortable looking over the shoulder and trying to attack the catch point. And that's showed against guys like C.D. Lamb and T. Higgins in the playoff. And so this is a guy that I think you're going to be – he's great in terms of being able to stick with receivers. But when it gets to the catch point, he gets bully balled or he loses the ball in the air. And you saw that a lot in the championship game where T. Higgins got him on a couple of big-time plays. And then you talk about the play strength. That plays a big factor into him at the catch point too, that toughness. Uh, in press coverage, he needs to get stronger to, to really adapt to those, uh, the physicality of the NFL. So it's going to be really interesting to see where Fulton is valued by the NFL standards. So I think he's going to run a fast time. This is a combine preview. I think he's going to run somewhere close to 4-4 flat. Um, but I don't know his frame, his lack of play strength. I can't get behind him as a guy who's a slam dunk top five corner in this class, especially what we saw in that Clemson national title game. So he's one guy I can't really get a good feel for right now as far as like way. where people in the league value him. Just asking some scouting buddies around the industry, they're kind of like all over the place with him. Some like him, some are kind of like reserved. I said they're uncertain. Yeah. All the guys I've talked to are just like, yeah. man, I like this. And that's why I'm saying, like, there's going to be some corners in this class where NFL executives are going to pound the table for. I mean, Akuda, slam dunk. CJ Henderson, some executives are going to love him, some executives are going to hate him. Then you got guys like Cam Dantzler. Some people are going to love him. Trayvon Diggs, same way. With Fulton, it's like, yeah, he's good, but like, I just don't know, right? So it's like, people don't know what his upside is, people don't know what his floor is. And I can see him kind of tumbling a little further down the board than a lot of people expect because of the uncertainty, whereas opposed to, I think, a lot of other corners in this class, you're going to have a direct opinion on those guys. Definitely, man. I can't wait to see where he does end up going just because I think he's going to run really well, and I think he's going to test really good as well. So we'll see what does happen with him. But the next guy, man, I mean, we both probably can talk about him forever, and that's Jeff Gladney, the cornerback from TCU a guy that you put me on to earlier on in the scouting process. And once I watched this film against Baylor, man, I absolutely fell in love with him against Texas Tech as well before he ended up getting kicked out for targeting early on in that game. But prior to that point, I just loved everything about him. I love his length, even though he's only listed at 5'11". He looks much bigger on film. And if you would have never oh, looked yeah. at that, if you had never looked at his listed measurables, you would have never guessed that he was 5'11". So he plays much bigger than what his size indicates. And we talk about guys that just have that dog in them. He definitely has that. And I just love the way he comes up and tackles. He treats the he treats run support like a linebacker. He loves yep. the physical asking prices of the game. And that also carry carries over into his technique, a guy that's in your face all the time talking absolute dog crap to every single receiver that he goes up against. So just that level of confidence and that swagger, I think that's half the battle 
for these young corners. And he's a guy you really don't have to worry about at all as far as feeling like he belongs in the league. And I think that's definitely something that's not going to be an uphill battle for him once he enters the league. But, man, I'm a huge fan of Jeff Gladney. Yeah, and I might surprise a couple of our listeners with my kind of cornerback tier list here. But to me, it goes tier one is Jeffrey Okuda. Then there's a gap. And then tier two is C.J. Henderson, Jeff Gladney, and a gap. And I think when you compare and contrast Henderson and Gladney, they're really similar when you said the length and the ability to play press man, in-your-face, rerouting receivers. I think the big difference between the two, I think Henderson's a more refined coverage guy from the off-alignment as, and from the press alignment as well. I think he's more patient with his eyes. But I think Gladney's more physical and a guy who I think plays with better ball skills at the catch point. So you have two contrasting styles there. I think Gladney's kind of the anti-CJ Henderson in run support. He will go up in your face and play a physical brand of football, whereas Henderson will – he likes to cover more than Gladney does. But to me, I think both are really similar players in that regard. But they're – I think, you know, we you know, evaluate trait by trait. Those two guys, to me, are the clear number two and three corners in this class. And I know we're going to have a different – I know everyone sees these cornerbacks in a different light. But Gladney, with what he showed this year, and let's remember this, he's a four-year starter with four years of Big 12 production. And this guy, his resume is picture perfect. You look at this from a, you know, on paper-wise. I mean, this guy has the interceptions, he has the speed, he has the length, he has the play strength. We talk about play strength to Christian Fulton. He's like the anti-Christian Fulton in that regard, too. This guy is, this guy is bully servers. You know, he doesn't see anybody as a really big test. I'm a big fan of Gladney. I think him and Henderson, the clear next two corners after Akuda. And like I said, it's, it's kind of like pick your kind of flavor here in this cornerback class. But to me, that's how I have it stacked. I have Akuda, then Henderson, Gladney, and then the gap. So my sneaky suspicion with Gladney is that I think he's going to run like low 4-3. That would not oh, surprise no, me at all. Absolutely. Absolutely. He was on Bruce Feldman's freak list. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's going to run a really fast time. I think we're going to see he's him gonna rise. Jump over, he's going to jump over 40 inches, too. That guy yeah. can squat like 700 pounds, I think, I saw. Yeah, I, I would not doubt that at all, man. I'm a huge fan of Gladney. I love what he brings to the table. Landing spot is going to be really big for him, though, just because I think he's going to be much better in a press man scheme. I think that fits him a little bit better. I agree. I think he gets exposed a little bit off, man. He gets exposed a little bit. I think that's where the big difference to me between Henderson and Gladney is that off-man fluidity. I think Henderson just has a quicker mental trigger right now. I think think Gladney is a great athlete. I just don't know if he has the – because he didn't really play a lot of off-coverage at TCU. He played really in the face, press man a lot. So I think when you compare and contrast those styles, I think Henderson's more NFL ready in that regard. So I think think the scheme fit matters – but I think Gladney will eventually develop into a good off-man corner. It is, it's going to be a matter of time. So that, to me, is the biggest difference between Henderson and Gladney is that fluidity from the off-man alignment, for sure. I'm with you there. And before we move on and we talk about some of the other guys, on the flip side of this cornerback class, here's a word from our sponsors. All right, and we are back. And if you guys might have missed the first half of the show, we are previewing we are doing our our combine, excuse me, preview of the cornerback position. What I think is one of the deepest positions in this draft. And some of the guys that we have talked about already, Jeffrey Akuda, C.J. Henderson, Christian Fulton, and Jeff Gladney. Now, coming up in the second segment, we will talk about a whole bunch of different guys as well. 
first one I want to talk about, though, is Trayvon Diggs, the cornerback from Alabama, yeah. a guy that we both have a lot of experience with. And this was the first year that he was able to put it all together just because he has had some durability concerns. I know he had the foot injury a year ago to where he only had yeah. or he was only able to play four games a season ago. But this year he was the he was the full time starter this year at outside corner. He showed some very good signs. But the LSU game was a bit rough. I think that was by far his worst game of the year. But outside of that, I thought he put together some really solid tape. So just talk about some of the things that you saw with him, some positives, and then some things that that may be a bit of a concern to you. Yeah, I don't know about you, but, like, the more cornerbacks I watched, I think the less I like Diggs. And it's not a knock on Diggs, really, because I think he has good ball skills, length, one of the strongest corners in his class in terms of his press man coverage, ability to reroute guys to the line of scrimmage. But just receivers get a lot of separation against him, whether it's from the press alignment, off alignment. I really worry about his ability to carry receivers in man coverage. And that showed a lot against LSU, showed off against Auburn, against all these SEC teams. It seemed like every game, Ole Miss even too this year, without the big studs at receiver. It was crazy as he played better you know, last year against LSU as a junior against A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf than he played this year against Ole Miss against a bunch of scrubs. So it was just like, I just don't know what to expect from him, really. Because I know he has, when he's at the catch point, he's probably as good as any cornerback in this class at attacking the ball. Former wide receiver, of course, the brother of Stephon Diggs. But getting to that point, I'm just worried a little bit because he was bailed out by a couple of bad throws. Uh, and it's like whoever the quarterback was on point, he just got beat. And I think he gets beat a lot more some of the top corners in this class. So to me, I have him behind guys like Jalen Johnson. I have him behind guys like Noah Igbenagi and Christian Fulton. Because to me, the most important trait for a cornerback is kind of you know, dissolving that separation and closing it down, closing down those windows. And to me, Diggs just doesn't have that kind of ability. I've been burned with big corners before, and Diggs has those same kind of similarities, even though the ball skills are so tantalizing. The length, you, you can't teach that. But I'm just a little worried that he's too much of a linear athlete and he can't really turn. So the combine will be a big day for him. But I think a three-cone will be an even bigger test for him than even a four-yard dash. So I think he's going to run a good time. I just don't know how you know, fluid his hips are and his, how good his change of direction is. But it shows off a lot on tape that he gets beat a lot in terms of separation man coverage. So I'm worried a little bit. I'm interested to get your thoughts on him because I, I feel like I've soured on him the more cornerbacks I've watched in this class. So here's my thing with Diggs. I really like how sticky he can, he can be in man coverage, but with these bigger corners, you always worry about how well they're able to change directions. And even though he does show some really good signs at doing so, I think he allows a lot of airspace at the top of the route. And that's something that really does worry me just because that indicates that there may be some struggles with change of direction. And like I said, like with the LSU game, Jamar Chase, all those guys just took him to school that entire game. Mm-hmm. And that was the best competition that he played all year. And he just well, did not right. play well. No, now, he did. Now, a sneaky suspicion that I think about him that could work, I think it could be a safety. And I say Absolutely. that because you have some fluidity concerns, but I think you're able to mask a little bit of that if you're able to put him at free safety. And maybe he can scrape over the top on some of these longer passing plays, and he can just roam the back area. Now, his tackling, his tackling is something that may come a little bit to fruition and may be put under a little bit more of a microscope at safety, but he shows some interest in tackling, so I don't think that would be a huge concern with him. So if I do draft him and it doesn't work out for him at corner, I would try him at free safety. I agree. 
And so I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot here because that's what I like to do. I like to make you uncomfortable. But we're going to go Trayvon Diggs versus Cam Dantzler. Who you got? Oh, Dantzler, man. You know Dantzler's oh, my you. guy, man. I'm with you. It, it's hot take Tuesday, my friend. I'm yeah. going with you. Dantzler is my guy. I remember I watched the Dantzler versus LSU game, and immediately I texted you. I was like, Dantzler's better than Diggs. Yeah. I was like, I'll take him, man. You talk about Jamar Chase going up against Diggs and really having – you know, I thought Diggs had his worst game against LSU. You pointed that out against the top competition. It's crazy because Dancer's best games on tape are against the best competition. Yeah. Like these guys like Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase had more trouble against Cam Dancer than any other cornerback all season long. That length, that fluidity. That's the difference between, between Diggs and Dancer for me is that fluidity and change of direction. Dancer is that tall corner who can move and he's not like mm-hmm. your stiff hip guy who's going to really labor, you know, moving laterally. This guy can really mirror and match with you. And I think that was a big problem for chase because with that, when you have the ability to, you know, really extend with your length and disrupt the catch point while also being able to mirror with your feet it is a very hard, you have a very hard time really separating against that kind of corner just because, you know, they look at the pure physical profile, the length, the footwork, the quickness, it's going to be really hard to get away from that, man. Dancer really proved that in that matchup. I think Dancer played, played as well as he could against Chase, and he really held him to, I think, his season low. He only had five catches for 48 yards in that game, and he only had, like, two of them against Dancer. Yeah. So, to me, I, I'm a big fan of Dancer. I think Dancer could really rise into my top five cornerbacks when it's all said and done. I hope Dancer runs a good time um, because I think, he, I think he will run, I guess, reasonably. Well, I don't think he's going to run slow, but I hope he has a good combine. Because his tape is phenomenal, and I have no problem with him going in the first round to a team like Minnesota at 25. That makes a lot of sense to me. Oh, man. You're trying to butter me up, man. Send him <laughs> up to my team. <laughs> I think he does make a lot of sense in Minnesota. I uh, like his fit there, of course. But uh, I do have an article coming out where I did talk to Cam last weekend, and he talked me through a lot of things. <clears throat> Excuse me, as far as, you know, technical-wise, you know, being under the tutelage of Terrell Buckley, a 13-year NFL veteran. So he had some really good coaching back when he was with the Green Bay Packers. And something, I actually talked to Coach Buckley over the summer when I was being introduced to Cam. And, you know, Coach Buckley, he's, he, he was the position coach for Xavier Rhodes when he was at Florida State and then Jair Alexander when he was at Louisville. And I just asked him, like, how does Cam compare to those two guys coming out? And he was like, I don't even think it's close with how good he can be compared to those two. And I think he can be the best of the out of those three. So that just shows the type of respect that he has for Cam. And he he's not a guy that's just gonna be blowing smoke just because he's gonna he's gonna keep it he's gonna be always be reasonable with me. And I think that's exactly what he did. So that just that's just a credit to Cam. And I actually I asked Cam about that and he was like, Man, that's just high praise. And, you know, uh, we were talking about this before the show. He walked me through that play. It's the first play coming out of halftime in the third quarter where he was guarding Jamar Chase down the sideline. And he was he was locking horns with him. He was hip to hip with him. And I was just asking him, like, what were you thinking on this play? And why did you play the ball in the air as opposed to his hands? And he was saying he got beat so much with the back shoulder throws in years past or in seasons past that Coach Buckley was telling them that play the back shoulder. And or he said, play the upfield shoulder just because that'll take you to exactly where the ball is going to be. So, really good stuff. Be on the lookout for that piece. But everybody knows I'm a huge fan of Dantzler. Oh, a guy I've compared to Akilah Weatherspoon. I think that's kind of that's kind of selling him short. 
in a oh, sense. Absolutely. But that just gives you the kind of mind frame as a mind frame of like how he could end up turning out. I think he's going to end up being a much better player than what Weatherspoon has turned out to be, but just the career arc that he could have. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to put you on the spot again. And I know I won't get too off track here, but how would you stack these corners? I already explained how mine would go. I have it really Okuda, Gap, Henderson, Gladney, Gap. And I think Dantzler to me is a fourth guy. So, you know, ahead of guys like Jalen Johnson and Christian Fulton for me, who round up five and six. So how would you stack these corners after we talk about all these top guys? So on my latest big board, I had Akuda, Henderson, Gladney, Fulton, Diggs, Dantzler. And Power! Before, before, before it's all said and done, I'm probably going to swap uh, Dantzler and Diggs. I think that's probably going to be the second tier for me. I think Akuda is going to be in a tier of his own. But then that second tier, you have Henderson, Gladney, then Fulton and Dantzler. And then you get into the third tier, and some guys we'll talk about here in a second, uh, A.J. Terrell, Jalen Johnson, Noah Igbenogany, and then Bryce Hall, of course, rounding it out. And I'm sure there's going to be some others that come about as well. But uh, let's go ahead and talk about this third tier that we're talking about in yeah. a sense. And let's go ahead and talk about A.J. Terrell, the cornerback from Clemson. Okay. I know you've had some – some things that have really concerned you about him. So I'll just go ahead and let you shed a little bit of light on that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think, you know, and here's the thing with AJ Terrell. I think he's a, probably a, he's probably gonna be a second round pick just because of his physical traits. He's going to end up becoming six foot one. He's going to run four, four at the combine. He's going to look really good in shorts. I think the biggest problem with him is that I just don't know if he's NFL ready. I don't think he's ready for NFL snaps right away. He's so raw technically at the line of scrimmage because at Clemson, they kind of put that side saddle technique. It doesn't really help anybody in terms of trying to scout these corners. It's the same process as a guy like McKenzie Alexander, who went to your Minnesota Vikings a couple of years ago. They kind of play a side style technique where they don't play from a true pedal. So it's like, I don't really know how to judge you in man coverage. And then when he played man coverage against LSU, it was a bloodbath against a guy like Jamar Chase. And, you know, you, you want to see with AJ Terrell, with his length, and I know he's a quick dude. I know he's a really athletic guy, but he really hasn't put it all together yet. He's like the Jared Pinkney of this cornerback class, where he's not the sum of his parts yet. And I think you're going to have to really be patient with him. And there's a guy very similar to him who came out a long time ago. It was um, actually not really, not really a long time ago, actually. He's going to be a free agent this year. James Bradbury from Sanford. And it's, it's James Bradbury had the same kind of concerns, right? He was at the Senior Bowl that year. looked really big, explosive, but just so raw technically impressed, man, covered. And it took a couple of years from in Carolina for him to really develop into a starting corner. And I think that's the, really the ceiling where you could hope for with AJ Terrell right now. Um, but, yeah, I mean, physical profile off the charts, but really I think the intangibles and the nuance of the position, he has a long way to go. But I, I hope a lot of people don't overemphasize the LSU game because he, he had some good tape this year. Yeah. But I think the LSU game really kind of, I guess, accentuated those concerns. And I think it took him down from that maybe late first-rounder to put more of that mid to late second round guy, more so to where a guy like uh, McKenzie Alexander went in the draft where he was drafted. Yeah, and one game that he did struggle a little bit with is Carolina. Uh, speaking on Terrell, I know he got beat right. early on in that game. And I think the biggest issue that I have with him is just his eyes. His eyes are just all over the place. And I think it's I, I think it's a credit to the technique that you're talking about just because he's playing with his back to the sideline in a sense. So he can see everything. And I think that kind of kind of hurts him in a sense Absolutely. just because I think he's looking at a little bit too much just because he's trying to look at his man, but also he's looking at different concepts that are going on on the field as well. So his eyes and his feet rarely do marry up. 
And I think that's something that really does hurt him. So him playing a true press man scheme, I think that's going to help him. But, of course, he has to gain a little bit of weight as well. He's a guy his play strength is a little bit off right now. And I think Jamar Chase really exposed him in that area. Yeah, and we've seen these Clemson corners go from that side saddle technique to the NFL going press man head up. And we've seen them take a while to adjust. Mackenzie Alexander was, you know, regarded as a big bust coming out early in his career before mm-hmm. kind of revitalizing as a nickel guy. Um, but it just takes these Clemson cores a little longer to the kind of transition because that technique, it doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help them. It doesn't help the scouts. It doesn't help the coaches when trying to evaluate him. And AJ Terrell, I think he, he has a first round profile, but to me he has third, fourth round tape. And where do you really evaluate that? Some, some coaches are going to say, I'll take him in the late one. Other coaches are going to say, I wouldn't touch him until the third round. So it's going to be really interesting to see what he does at the combine and how he really elevates his stock leading up to April. It definitely is. But I want to go ahead and get to these final two guys. So we'll do one more, and then we'll take a break. So let's talk about Jalen Johnson, the cornerback oh, from Utah. I know a guy that you have absolutely salivated over in, oh, man. in episodes past. And you, you, I think you said a couple shows ago, it wouldn't surprise you at all if this guy starts to enter the first-round discussion oh, he just, be. because, just because some of the traits that he has shown. So – Jalen Johnson, just give us a little bit of a preview and why you like him so much. Another sub-4-4 cornerback. Look at that. This is a guy that ran, I think, 4-3-8 in high school, something like that. And it's just like, it's crazy to me because I remember watching his junior or his sophomore tape and thinking, man, is he fast enough? And then I did more research. This guy's a sub-4-4 guy coming out of high school. And you go back and watch the tape. And this guy, I think the biggest thing with him is not even the athleticism. It's kind of just like the eye just went about AJ Terrell. I think he's, he, has, he plays so opportunistically and so aggressively. He wants to get the ball. He has his eyes on the quarterback and kind of forgets where the receiver is. And that's where his main issues are in off-man coverage. It's really weird because Jalen Johnson is like a 5'11", 200-pound corner where you see his quickness. You see his speed. He's so good reactively in terms of being able to you know, mentally you know, coordinate his hands, his feet to the route of the receiver and off-man coverage, but the eyes get so carried away because he wants to make a play on the ball. And it, it makes zero sense because you look at his profile, it's like, oh, that's a great off-man corner. He's actually the, one of the better press-man corners in this entire class. Look at his play strength. Look at his, I think, his overall patience line of scrimmage. Again, that reactive quickness to mirror and match guys in press-man. And again, again, that place to reroute and the length to really get into receivers and disrupt their path. This guy's a really good press man corner. And I think where he really falls in trouble is zone and off man because of the eye discipline. But, man, if you can really shore that up, this guy can be a true lockdown corner because he has every other trait you can look for. The ball production, the ball skills, the length, the speed, the quickness. You just name all those traits you look for the quarterback position, and Jalen Johnson checks a lot of the boxes. And he's going to show that at the combine when he tests through the roof. So, Jalen Johnson, don't forget about him. I know a lot of you guys weren't able to watch him live this year because he played in the Pac-12 really late at night. And it's a shame that Utah didn't make the college football playoff and they didn't get the uh, job done against Oregon because I think Jalen Johnson would have risen even higher if he played one of those marquee games against him like LSU, got to go up against Jamar Chase. It's a real shame that that didn't happen because he shut down Pac-12 receivers all year long. There's a guy named Isaiah Hodges from Oregon State who declared, who's a really good receiver in his own right, be a third, fourth round pick. Really, I think a true sleeper in this wide receiver class. He was on an absolute tear. I think there were like five straight games, hundred of either 150 plus yards or three touchdowns. It was unbelievable. And then Jalen Johnson held him to one catch. Same thing with Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State. 
Both were on tears, and they entered Jalen Johnson Island, and they didn't do anything from there. So Jalen Johnson needs a lot more respect in this cornerback class, and to me, he's in that fourth, fifth cornerback range in terms of after the guys like Jeff Gladden, CJ Henderson, Jeffrey Akuda. Then we talk about Jalen Johnson. To me, he's a late first, early second round grade on my board, and I have no problem taking him at the end of the first round. No doubt about it. With you. And we talk about guys going through the W drill and when they're flipping their hips, turning and running, then attacking the ball out of the air at the combine. I think he's one that's definitely going to be oh in prime position to really shine at that. Absolutely. And that's something that I pay a lot of attention to just because this is really our first glimpse of seeing how well they move outside of their pads. And you get to see which guys are bendy and flexible, who stays low in their technique, and which guys that are comfortable attacking the ball out of the air. And I think Jalen Johnson definitely is one guy that can shine in that area. Absolutely. I mean, to my guy, he just looks great moving. I mean, fluid mover, fluid movement skills. Jalen Johnson's top flight in this class. Again, the biggest thing with him, I think he just tries to make too many plays. And I, I said in my scouting part of him, his aggressiveness is his biggest weakness. It's his biggest strength, but it's also his biggest weakness in terms of getting beat on double moves. Look at the big plays he gives up. It's because he bites trying to make a play. I think if you just reel it back with him, he can truly become a Pro Bowl cornerback. And it would not surprise me if he's the second-best corner to come out of this class after Akuda. I think that's one name that definitely could really crash the party as far as a name that we could hear early in this cornerback class. That's Jalen Johnson. So really excited about his prognosis, man. I'm excited to see how he does at the combine. I'll definitely have a dot beside his name just to see how well he performs at the combine. But before we move on and we discuss Virginia's Bryce Hall and Auburn's Noah Igbenogany, here's a quick word from our sponsors. All right, and we are back, and we are finishing up our cornerback preview, talking about Virginia's Bryce Hall and also Auburn's Noah Igbenogany. But I want to go ahead and get to Igbenogany, man, just because this is a player that really has really risen during the latter portions of the draft process. And a lot of people were really late to this film. And I know I definitely was one guy that was a bit late to this film, even though um, I did say a couple weeks ago that he's definitely one guy that could rise just because I wasn't paying attention to him in depth. Uh, but he did catch my eye when I was watching Derrick Brown, and he just did not get beat. And I was watching him against um, Oregon, and I was watching him against LSU and also Alabama. Those were the three games that really caught my eye with him. So, Ibn just talk about some of the traits that you like about him and then his future outlook. He's a Dory Jackson plus. Does that interest you at all? <laughs> I mean, you're talking about a guy who has – Excellent speed. He, this guy was an Auburn track star before really converting to full-time corner. He didn't start playing full-time cornerback until spring 2018, which was just last year, essentially. So you're looking at a guy that, you know, moved from wide receiver and really, you know, a triple jumper at Auburn to playing cornerback in the SEC at a full-time role. And we just did that, you know, two years ago. So to, And the jump he made from 2018 to 2019 was so drastic that I think you can see just the leaps and bounds of development he still has to go. He's just one of those ascending players. The guy who's just going to get better and better. Look at the line graph on him. It's all the way up. And he's just going to get better and better with each snap he takes. This is about to be his – when he enters his rookie season in the NFL, check this out. This is going to be his third full season playing cornerback ever. In just one position. Mm-hmm. That is absolutely unreal. It reminds me of Leighton Vanders from out Boise State. And Leighton Vanderish played, you know, six-man, eight-man football from high school, never played line, played quarterback and, and played some linebacker, moved to Boise State, 
and just played two seasons, and he was off the record, off off the rails, and going to Dallas, becoming All Pro. So I think there's just so much growth for the Benogian, and I think he still has you know technical flaws, line of scrimmage. He gets a little too antsy with his hands, his feet. I think he really needs to kind of reel it back a little bit, play a little slower. I think he's way too anxious. That he plays way too fast. Again, I think his speed kind of works to his detriment at times. I think he thinks too fast on his feet. But if you reel it back with him and you just make him focus on that position for all next year, this is a guy who's going to get better and better. You're drafting him for what he could be, and he has a ton, a ton of upside. He's got one of the best days of anybody at the Combine. Again, this guy set records in the triple jump at the SEC. This is a guy who's going to really show out the Combine, really make a name for himself. If you're looking for a guy who's, like I said, crashed the party at the end of the first round, Igbenogin could be that guy just because his upside alone. So, you know, I'm big on background and I was fascinated with his. So are you familiar with his parents? The, oh, like, I feel like one of them was like an Olympic athlete or something yeah. like that. Both of yeah. them participated in the Olympics. They both yeah, were Olympic yeah, yeah. sprinters. So dad was a five-time champion, SEC champion. That's right. Mom, mom was a champion at Alabama, so they, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's where it's he got the, the speed line. from. Uh, absolutely. You know, that's where he got the speed from. So he's a guy I think is going to run 4-3 as well. I think he's going to blaze up the track at the combine. So really excited about him. And, you know, he's a guy that's a bit raw in his, in his technique, but that's expected. A guy that's still relatively new to the position, but I just love his future projection. And it wouldn't surprise me if teams view him as a nickel, even though I think he can play outside corner. But there may be some concerns about his length out there. I don't have a problem with it, but I could see some teams having that concern with him. But he just doesn't get beat. And there were some times where teams just didn't throw his way at all. And Oregon was a prime example of that. Oregon just did not test him at all. And there was one play where he gave up a crossing route over the middle of the field, and he slipped. That was the only reception he gave up the entire game. So really excited about Igbenogany, man. I'm really excited about his long-term mm-hmm. outlook and his future. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if he starts to enter the first-round discussion once mm-hmm. we exit the combine. Yeah, you know what's crazy about him? With his wide receiver converts going from, from wide receiver to cornerback, one of the biggest side effects of that is run support right away because mm-hmm. a lot of his wide receivers, they don't like to get hit. And as, when they move to cornerback, predictably, they don't like to hit. So like, you see guys like Trayvon Diggs he's, with, with his tackling, guys like Paulson Adebo coming out of Stanford. Um, just, all these guys moving from wide receiver to cornerback they kind of have a rough time doing it. Justin Lane was the same way on Michigan State. So, and Noah Igbenogin's kind of a different dude because he's like one of the most aggressive players on the Auburn secondary. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy to me because you don't see those wide receiver converts move the quarterback so seamlessly in run support. And I think that's why he projects so well at nickel because with more so than any other position in the secondary mostly, in terms of especially a cornerback, the nickel, def- nickel defender is a primary run defender in, in that run support as an open field tackler. You're, you know, those jet sweeps and those, you know, outside zones. The nickel defender has to be really good in the open field as a tackler. And I think Igbenogin really checks that box for me. He, he plays a lot of stopping power. He really he explodes through ball carriers. not afraid to stick his nose and run support. I'm a big fan of his role as, as a nickel defender because I think he can maximize that two-way go quickness in the slot in terms of man coverage, but he can also fill that role as a primary run defender down the box. So I'm a big fan of his role in the slot. Same here, man. I like him a lot, man. I like this player. I'm a big fan of him, and I can't wait to see where he does end up going. Uh, he, in he's, the draft. A lot, he's a lot closer to Christian Fulton than a lot of people think. Yeah, He's a I lot agree. closer in draft grade on my board to Christian Fulton than a lot of people are giving him credit for. 
you watch the film and you watch him and Fulton back to back as I did, there's not really much of a difference. No, and there's to not. Me, and I, I think if you if you want to go really bold here, Igbenogi is just a more physical version of Christian Fulton. And that's what I thought I saw. I thought when you watch the big games, Igbenogi played his best games against the best competition. Whereas Fulton kind of, I think, struggled against the big games. He struggled against guys like Henry Ruggs. He struggled against guys like T. Higgins. So you look at those games, you're like, mm, I wonder, you know, how am I going to rate these guys? You know, I, you know I, I might be too much of a coward to put Igbenogi over Fulton. But, man, you watch them back-to-back, it's a lot closer than people think. I agree. And another guy I can't wait to see how he does test at the combine. But the last guy that we'll get to today, a bit of a forgotten about man just because he suffered that gruesome ankle injury earlier on in the year. And it was unfortunate that he was unable to finish the year strong, especially considering how well of a career he put together. And that's Bryce Hall from Virginia. A guy who got a lot of buzz coming into the year, and he was in the first round discussion in a lot of mock drafts. But of course, his stock did plummet a bit after the injury. Now he's looking more of a, I would say, definitely an early day two guy, early to mid day two guy. I'd say I think, that. I'd say I think so. that's a fair range for him. But scheme fit is going to be really tricky for him just yep. because I think he oh, probably yeah. has to play in a zone scheme just because <laughs> I don't think he has the turn and run speed Ooh. in order to play and man coverage consistency. And to Marion Terry, the wide receiver from Florida State ate him alive. And that really was the game that really brought me on to that just because I don't think he has the the fluidity in order to keep up in man cover. So you talk about schemes like Seattle. I think he would be a really good fit in that heavy zone scheme of that nature. So uh, there's some other teams that he definitely would fit well, but I think he has to play in a zone-based or zone-oriented scheme in order to really see his potential just because if you put him in a man cover scheme, he's just not going to be able to survive. Oh, <laughs> basically what you're saying right now is making me like Paul Revere, run for the hills, get out of here. <laughs> oh my goodness. You, you, wait, you're saying with cornerback play, when you attach the label zone only, I am like all the way out on you because that means me, with how man coverage focused the NFL is today, it doesn't matter if you're playing, if you're in a zone scheme like Seattle, there's going to be some variation in man coverage in that system to really be forced to play one-on-one against receivers. We've seen it guys like Trey Flowers and Shield Kilgrim have been able to run mirror match and run vertical with those guys. It doesn't matter if you're running cover three, cover two primarily, you're going to have to run some man coverage at some point. It's like a matchup zone in basketball. You're going to, or it's like a two, three zone in basketball. You're going to have to run some matchup out of that at some point. Right. So I think it with, with a guy like Hall, you attach a zone only label to him. That scares me because you have to be able to play man coverage the next level. And you saw against Tamori and Terry, and he, the speed just ate him up, ate him alive. The double moves, the getting over the top. Man, I'm really worried about Bryce Hall. And I think he's, I think he's good at the catch point. I think he's a really smart player. To me, if you move him to safety, I think that's his best fit at the next level. Because now you can have him playing deep zone as opposed to being one-on-one on the island every play. And I think you could take advantage of his mental processing, his physicality and run support, and his ball skills at the catch point. That, to me, is the best-case scenario for him is to move to safety and really maximize his strengths as opposed to accentuating his weaknesses, which is man coverage, as you pointed out. There's no, no such thing as a zone-only corner anymore. There's no such thing as saying, well, he could probably thrive in a cover-three scheme. No, like you're going to have to play man coverage at some point. If Bryce Hall can't fit the bill, then he's got to move positions. And to me, that's what he's got to do. And I have him in the third round right now, primarily to me, is a guy who's got to move to safety. 
Yeah, and we'll see what does happen with him. Just because I think he is a little bit of a forgotten about man. There's going to be some teams that like him just because he is a model citizen. A guy like the Peg is a model citizen. Absolutely. A program, a program builder just because of how well and consistent he has played throughout his career. Done everything right. off the, the charts. Yeah, off the charts and tangibles. And he, he's a program builder. That's what I like to call him just yep. because he's done everything right and he's done everything that the team has asked him to do. Team captain, obviously, and all of that stuff that comes with it as well. So uh, really interested to see exactly where he does go. Just like I say about every single corner, I can't wait to see how teams stack how, them up on their boards. How fast is Bryce Hall going to run? Uh, I would say high four fives. I think that's fair for him. If I had if to I guess, you, I would, if I I would say four, between four five five and four five eight. If I told you four six one, would that surprise you? No, not at all. And that's what I'm saying. I think safety's the move for him. I think like, these guys that run four five five, four five six, you know, it, quarterbacks who run four six are basically extinct now. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't be that slow and play on the outside. Like I said, with how man coverage focused the league is now, you're going to get exposed if you run a four six like cornerback. That's just the bottom line. And I can like your tape as much as I can. But when Joe Juan Williams went out and ran a four six seven or what he did at the combine last year. It was kind of a death sentence for him. It was just like, you know, you have to be able to run if you're going to play quarterback this NFL. This is how man coverage focuses it is. If you're not fast, you're going to get exposed. Bottom line. Tease so Tabor was another great example exactly, of that. Yeah. Exactly right. And with Bryce Hall, it's one of those things where, luckily for him, he has a lot of redeemable traits. And a lot of those redeemable traits for him are great at safety, mental processing, great eye discipline. Excellent ball skills and length, and a really strong and physical player. I just think, in terms of the speed and quickness, I just think your weaknesses are going to get accentuated at cornerback, whereas your strengths will get more highlighted at safety. So to me, it's a no-brainer move. I'd move, even though we haven't seen him really play at safety, play that deep middle role in Virginia. I think he'd thrive in that role. I really do, and I think if you play my cornerback, you're really asking him to get exposed. I'm with you, but we'll see. What he does end up running, or if he does even run at all at the combine, he may wait until his pro day, which would not surprise me in one bit at all. Uh, so we'll see what does happen with that situation. But, of course, that is our cornerback preview. And, of course, we'll get into some more deeper names as we get closer to the combine. And hey, then we'll I'll have a... one more name. Only, okay. only one more name for the audience. Okay. One more name for the audience. Because I, want to get, I, want, I want y'all to give us a five-star review for this one more <laughs> name. Listen, Troy Pride Jr., Remember okay. that name. That guy had an interception in the Senior Bowl. He was, I, I think he was the t- this year's version of Terry McLaurin, where he just absolutely dominated the Senior Bowl practices and the one-on-one drills. And you combine that with, he's going to run the fastest, I'm going to call my shot right now. He's going to run the fastest 40 of any cornerback at the combine. This guy might touch, he might be the only corner to touch sub 4-3. This guy was a legit track athlete in high school, college, this guy is going to run fast. And you combine that quickness and his speed with man coverage production, his man coverage reliability, he did not get any – I know a lot of people are going to knock his ball production. I only had one interception and six pass deflections in 2019, but no one targeted him. Because he had, because think about this. He had you know, no separation on any of his routes. That's not a bad thing. To me, Troy Pride Jr. is the most overlooked cornerback in this class. Because if you look at his, you know, his best traits, which is man coverage, quickness, and reactive ability to really react and coordinate your feet to those routes, tra- uh, seamlessly transition 
each of those breaks. And man coverage, that's the most important trait of any quarterback. And I think if you look at that, and you stack them up to the rest of this class, you're thinking to yourself, maybe second round, maybe third round. I think when he runs close to sub 4-3, you're going to see him really rise. I'm not going to say a Byron Jones-like rise, but with the way he showed in the senior bowl, with how locked down he was on tape at Notre Dame this year, and with what he's going to show at the combine, do not be surprised if he sneaks into the top 50. Oh, no, that wouldn't surprise me at all, especially what we saw from him at the combine, or excuse me, at the senior bowl. I think that's something that could help him out a lot, just because it wouldn't surprise me if he touches 4-2, like 4-2-8. That wouldn't surprise me oh, at absolutely. all. absolutely not. Not at all. So, once again, like I always you, say. You know, my, you know my comp is for him? Who? Jonathan Joseph. Ran a very fast time as well when he came back out, about 4-3-3. Three, three. Mm-hmm. Troy Pride, same kind of player, very smart in man coverage. You know those Notre Dame kids, you don't come out there if you're not smart. This is a guy that they get – you saw the senior bowl, man. This guy read, read and keyed every single route he played against. Courtney Davis ran, I think, a, a comeback route, and this guy basically ran the route for him. Mm-hmm. In terms of mental processing and man coverage, it is top-notch in the upper echelon category. And you combine that with his speed and quickness, man, he has a lot of upside at cornerback. And I'm a big fan of his. I, I think Jonathan Joseph, to me, could be a ceiling. And if you're drafting Jonathan Joseph in the second round, man, that's a steal. Yeah, you have to be very happy about that. So uh, we'll, just, we'll see what does end up happening with these guys. And like I said, man, really excited to see how NFL teams have their boards stacked up with these guys just because there's going to be an obvious – difference especially with a lot of these guys determine who's going to be the top flight guys who they see as the second or the third tier guys but really good discussion man i can't wait this is definitely one position that i'm going to be looking at the most outside of receivers and running backs i think cornerback is definitely the one position that everybody will have their eye on the most but that is our show for today and of course we'll be going through every position as we get closer to the combine uh, the combine on field drill start next Thursday. So we'll have plenty of time to get all of these positions in a full preview. And then of course, we'll have a recap from Indianapolis as well. So thank you guys for listening. Make sure to leave a review, five-star review. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast as we bring you live updates from Indianapolis. But he is Jonah Tolls. I am Jordan Reed. Thank you guys for listening to the Locked On College Football Podcast. We will be back tomorrow. Thank you.